Welcome to Peace With The Process, where I bring you entrepreneurs from all walks of life to tell you how they went from part-time dream to full-time lifestyle. I hope you find something in today's episode that you can apply to your own life and that you find your peace with the process along the way. Let's get started. Hello everyone and welcome to episode number two. Today I have the first guest of the podcast, the amazing Elizabeth Saunders. So Elizabeth takes credit as being one of the very first to coach on the concept of time management and make a career out of that. She's also a contributor for the Harvard Business Review and Fast Company. She's featured in articles in the New York Times, Lifehacker, Inc., Forbes, CBS News, and ABC News. She's also ranked in the top 10 of Global Guru's top 30 time management gurus three years in a row from 2018 to 2020. She's a three-time author of The Three Secrets to Effective Time Investment, How to Invest Your Time Like Money, and Divine Time Management. I personally have two of her books since speaking with her. I first heard of her when I picked up her first book, The Three Secrets to Effective Time Investment, which I really connected with her techniques and her concepts from that book. And I just got my copy of Divine Time Management in after, the, after speaking with her on this podcast both of which we talk a lot, a little bit about in today's episode. So without further ado, here is Elizabeth Saunders, everyone. All right, Elizabeth, it's great to have you on the show today. Why, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Very great. So uh, you and I uh, have had a chance to talk a little bit before this, and uh, you are a time management coach, and you've written a few books about that. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, time management and having it be a, a career of yours. Absolutely. So it's definitely not what I thought would be my career. I thought I would be editor of Better Homes and Gardens right about now. But what happened is I started a freelance business pretty much by accident where I didn't have any work-life balance at all. And I was just excited because I was working with lots of national magazines around the country and doing work I loved. But the only problem was, like I said, I had no work-life balance. So anytime I wasn't sleeping or with people, I felt like I should be working, even if it was late at night, early in the morning, on the weekends. And I never felt like I had a time to relax without guilt. So I was okay with that for a few years. But after a few years, I felt like enough is enough. I don't care if other people think I'm successful. If I can never relax without guilt, I don't feel successful. So I started to figure out how not to work at night, not work on the weekends, to set boundaries, plan things out, limit my hours. I did so successfully. And my entrepreneur friend said, this is amazing. How do you do this? You should teach other people. So they really encouraged me to get into time management coaching. And that's something I've now been doing for over 11 and a half years. Started out as a small part of my work. And now it's the main thing that I do. Wow, that's amazing. So something that you just ended up being naturally at based off of a need that occurred in your life and, and people took recognition and you jumped into it. Exactly. It was not my idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So when you, when, you, when you had that life-changing moment where this is what you were going to pursue a majority of the time, did you have an idea of what that was going to look like? Any goals you had in mind getting started? Well, I had had business coaches, so I knew what it felt like and looked like for people to coach me. And then I had been to, to some coaching training, but I hadn't actually 
seen anyone do time management coaching because I'm pretty sure it didn't exist in 2009. <laughs> pretty sure I invented it. So I had a basic idea of what coaching looked like, what it could look like, what it could feel like, what I liked or didn't like from my own experiences. But in terms of time management coaching, I actually had to develop it myself. So it was a process of trial and error. I started out practicing on friends and family, helping them to manage their time better, get testimonials and referrals, and then built it up from there. So again, it started out as a pretty small part of what I did because I was still doing my writing, magazine, marketing work in order to earn an income. But over time, as I could build up more clients, it became my main, main source of revenue. Right. Wow. That's fantastic. So did you have any uh, struggles getting things up and going or how did all that just kind of come naturally to you? Well, my first business had actually been really easy. That's the freelance writing and editing for magazines. The reason why that was the case is that I studied magazine journalism in school and had four internships in college and then also had worked in magazines following college. So I had this great network and I pretty much just fell into starting that business. That was someone else's idea too. Um, <laughs> however, coaching turned out to be a harder nut to crack. And the reason for that is I was pretty much starting cold. I didn't already have this network and way of getting clients established like I did in magazine journalism. Also, I had to recognize that it was a completely different kind of marketing. So with my writing and editing and photo styling work with magazines, the way I got business was by networking with people I knew, going into the office, bringing brownies, getting literal brownie points, walking around, <laughs> saying hi to people, reaching out to people I knew, going to networking events. But I found at least for me with coaching, marketing looked completely different because with coaching, people are paying to talk to you. So if they can talk to you for free at any time, they don't really value your time. And so I found that getting clients actually turned out to be something much better to do online through my website, through guest posts on other people's blogs, through doing more of the online marketing newsletter sort of work instead of in-person marketing. So that actually took me a couple of years to figure out how to reach clients, how to package my products in a way that worked for them and also worked for me and how to really sell people on buying coaching from me. So I would say that was quite a struggle actually. And I wasn't really sure how to accomplish it. And it was over the course of two or three years that I figured out, Oh, that's how I get clients. This is how I structure my packages. And this is also how I sell what I do. Right. Yeah, that's great. So kind of leading right off at the end of that, you talked about your clients, getting clients. So was that friend that you said had said, you know, you're really awesome at this, you know, how do you do it? Was she your first paying client or was it later on down the road that you got that first paying client? And uh, tell us a little bit about how that went and uh, how that was. Yeah, so my friends initially who encouraged me to do this weren't paying me. <laughs> so <laughs> I just did this for testimonials, which is totally fine. I was, I was just starting out. And to be honest, I can't remember who my first paying client was. Isn't that terrible? I feel like I, I should remember. I really don't. It was so many years ago. And I think I, I know I did get to the point where even if people were my friends that I would charge them for working with me. I know I did some networking and did get some clients through meeting them in person. And then it was really things like, for example, getting mentioned um, in an article that Cal Newport wrote 
that was a big deal for me in terms of sending clients my way. I think it was on Ramit Sethi's blog, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, and Cal Newport wrote it and mentioned me, and it got me a bunch of website traffic. So it was, I don't actually remember, but it was this gradual thing where after probably six months or so of doing things for free, I started charging people for what I was doing. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I'm sure those things, they start to bleed together when you've done it yeah. for free so long yeah. and then you finally get to that point where you're charging and you know it has to kind of have a good balance when you right. transition into that for sure exactly so you know you talk about uh, a lot of networking uh, of course uh, website traffic and things like that so in terms of uh, attracting clients uh, these days and kind of keeping that uh, client relationship together what are some of the things that you do to ensure that that goes smoothly yeah, so in terms of attracting clients, it's the same method. So I write regularly for Harvard Business Review. So I've been writing for them probably for about 12 or 13 years now. So I usually write about an article a month. And then I also write very regularly for Fast Company. So again, about an article a month. And I'm very grateful I've been able to write for them for many years. And then other organizations it just kind of depends on the timing and how often I write for them so last year I had the opportunity to write for New York Times a number of times I have written for many many other blogs so as I have the opportunity as it makes sense I write for different venues though the people that I write for most regularly are Harvard Business Review and Fast Company and then in terms of keeping in touch with my audience, I do have a newsletter list. And so when people join that, they get some autoresponders up front that introduce them to who I am, what I do, all those sorts of things. And then after that, there's the opportunity for people to hear from me. I would say usually about two or three times a month. I don't tend to be someone that sends tons of emails all the time. I find mm -hmm. for people that can lead to some email fatigue, but if you send a newsletter, twice a month or three times a month. I usually send mine on Friday afternoon. It's something people can look forward to. I hope is high value, high, high value content for them and something that I get a pretty good return on investment with in terms of keeping that relationship. And then also when I do group coaching programs, I will market to that list. So once a year, I'll send more emails about what I'm offering and give people an opportunity to apply for that. Right, awesome. So we talked a little bit about you know, getting into time management coaching as, as a full-time lifestyle and career for you. Um, and, and as you mentioned now, you, you've been doing uh, articles for Harvard Business Review for several years now. So this has really taken off for you. I think I even saw an article where you've gotten uh, ranked in the top 10 for a Global Guru's time management uh, people in there. So that's, that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, and I've actually, uh, we, we mentioned this uh, talking before the podcast that I have been reading your first book that you released. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so tell us a little bit about that first book. I noticed you spend a lot of time in that book talking about the mentality of time management coaching and not just uh, the, the practices of it. Absolutely. So once again, the book was not my idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was so weird. I never wanted to write a book and I've written three. Everyone else wants to write a book except me. Um, but I, so I'm a person of faith and I really felt like God wanted me to write a book. And I was really worried 
about that because at the point at which I was working on the proposal, which was 2011, I had only been doing time management coaching for a couple of years. I wasn't as established as a lot of other coaches or a lot of other people. And I just felt like, what publisher is going to want to work with me? I don't have a massive platform. I don't have a massive newsletter list. I think I was writing for 99U by that point, which is great. But I, I just felt honestly pretty, pretty inadequate. But I felt like I was like, nope, you got to do this. So I worked on the book proposal and so incredibly grateful. It got rejected by pretty much everyone. But then the very last publisher, McGraw-Hill, did accept it. And the literally the week they were making the decision about whether or not to accept my book proposal was the same week that my very first article for Harvard Business Review went live and it totally went viral. It was ridiculous. It was when Harvard Business Review used to also share its articles with LinkedIn, had like over a hundred comments. It was like the top article on the website. And so that helped with getting the contract. <laughs> so anyway, I, I wrote that first book. It was crazy. I didn't know how long you were supposed to ask to write a book. So I literally wrote the book, I think in like two and a half months, which you really shouldn't do. Like that's not normal, but I did. And I talked a lot about emotions in it because one of the things that really makes me different than a lot of other time management professionals is that I do coaching instead of primarily training. And why that's significant is people that do training often come in and they have a certain methodology and they teach it to you and they're like here look at my perfect methodology if you just did what I said your life would be perfect too mm -hmm. and so it's a very much like this is my system fit into my system sort of approach and then they typically leave say good luck and there you have it and you may pick up a few things you may not but they're not really engaging in the struggle with you right versus myself I work with people for a minimum of three months. So I spend at least three months with my coaching clients. Three or six months are the length of my coaching programs and sometimes longer if they choose to have some follow-up coaching. So I really understand what's happening in the psychology of people as they're trying to change. And so that's why with my first book, I had a ton of things on your mindsets, a ton of things on emotions, what you needed to know, what you needed to overcome, because through my work, I knew that things like guilt and shame and overwhelm were just as important as a planner or a to-do list. And so that's really what I think made my first book different than a lot of other people because I was acknowledging that. I would say I was a forerunner. I'll, I'll take credit for that. And that since that book came out in, I believe it was very end of 2012, um, beginning yeah it was the very end of 2012 that book came out now I would say a lot more time management people talk about emotions but I was one of the first before that it was very much like this is your calendar this is your planner just do the right thing <laughs> right right that's awesome so you've uh you know you've really been the uh the path creator for several aspects of what you do today so you know time management being a actual coaching career uh, talked about it wasn't a, wasn't really a thing whenever you started it, uh, and then bringing the emotional side into it. Right. I love that you talked about uh, you know being a being a woman of faith, and uh, I believe you've also got another book out there called uh, Divine Time Management. Is that correct? Yep. That is correct. So that's another thing where I'm kind of a forerunner. So I have a book called Divine Time Management. It's my third book, baby, and I actually have a copy right here. Um, and uh, 
Yes, that's something where it's really different. And I've talked to other people that are Christians and they said, I've never seen a book like this at all. And it's basically talking about the intersection of time management and faith, my Christian faith. Although I have had people of all different faith backgrounds who have really found it interesting to read. Mm. And what is so different about that book than about my first two books is that my first two books are about helping type B people become more type A. So how to be more planful, how to be more organized, how to be more on top of things, all those sorts of things. My third book was much, much harder for me to write because it was about helping type A people chill out. I'm way more type A. <laughs> so that was hard because I couldn't just be the expert who had everything right and was telling people what to do. I really was challenged to change through writing Divine Time Management in terms of the idea of letting go of this idea of trying to be in control of your universe and the center of your universe and having everything your way. And instead, from my perspective, that God is the one that is in control and you want to put trust in him at the center of your time management. So you're doing what you can, you are planning, you're working ahead, but ultimately your trust isn't in yourself or your perfection or what you're trying to get done. Your trust is in God and it can just lead to so much more peace, so much more joy, so much more ease in what you're doing because you're not getting so uptight about everything happening to happen the exact way that you want it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I absolutely call myself a man of faith as well, a son of God. And uh, I'm very much so looking forward to reading that book uh, after I'm done with your three secrets to effective time investment. Beautiful. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely excited for that. One of the things that I picked up from that first book was, um, I believe you call it the uh, change personalities. Could you tell us a little bit about that? So yes, there's embracing change or building change. So in terms of the different styles, people like to change in different ways. So when we're talking about someone that likes to build change, what that looks like is they'll probably start with one change, maybe one small habit that shifts, stabilize that habit, and then move on to the next one. So for example, maybe someone would say, this week what I want to focus up on is waking up on time. So I'm just going to really focus getting up on time, going to bed on time. That's going to really be my main focus. Then the following week, they might say, okay, I feel like I've stabilized that. Now my next thing I'm going to do is finding some time to exercise during my day. And I'm going to think about how I can take time to exercise as well as maintaining my going to bed and getting up routine. So that's what a building change sort of person would do. Someone who likes to embrace change finds that one thing at a time a little too boring. So they actually do better if they have a cluster of things that they work on together. So for example, maybe they want to focus on getting up on time, going for a run once they get up, and then having a healthy breakfast. And so they have maybe three, three to five things that they're working on at the same time in order to embrace change. It's okay to do things either way. The one thing I would say though, is if you are going to embrace change, I would still keep it at about three to five. Because if you try to change 10 or 15 or 20 things at once, it's just not gonna stick and you're gonna get really overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree with that. That was one of the things that uh, really resonated with me when I was reading the book is understanding that uh, you, like you mentioned as well, you don't have to be, uh, you know, type A uh, 100%. It's, it's not, 
this is the type of person you have to be to have these changes in your life. You have to understand how your personality fits into that as well and how you've handled things um, in the past to get you to where you want to be in the future. I've definitely connected. Exactly. With that. Good. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I wanted to, uh, to touch in on as well is what do you have going on in the, uh, in the pipeline these days? So you've got uh, three books out and uh, we've actually, we've, we've touched on the first one and your third one. Uh, tell us a little bit about that second one and then what you've got kind of in the pipeline today. Absolutely. So my second book is called How to Invest Your Time Like Money, and that's published by Harvard Business Review. And in terms of how they all fit together, so my first book is an overall view of lasting behavioral change with time management. My third book, Divine Time Management, is on a Christian spiritual approach to your time. My second book in the middle is really laser focused on your time allocation. So it's short, it's concise. I believe it's about 60 pages long or so. And it really gets into, okay, if you want to make the most of your time in terms of what you're doing, this is how you want to evaluate how much time you're putting into different things. And I'll, I'll give an example. So Different people are different in terms of what they love to do. Personally, I love to be physically active. So I'm not one of those people that like exercise is a problem for because if you're like, do you want to go on a hike or swim or like do pretty much anything active, that's going to always be my first choice of what I want to do with my time. So I actually have the opposite problem where I have to balance it out and say in holistically what needs to get done in my life is doing the most active thing the right choice or do I need to actually make something else a priority so for example if I've swum in the morning with my swim team friends does playing soccer also at night make the most sense or is there something else I should be doing with my time like personal admin or something around the house um, and so I can have a tendency because of what I love to do to over allocate something that's a good thing and should be in my life but maybe spending an extra three hours on doing some physical activity outside isn't as good an investment in that particular moment as like doing something around the house or spending time with people I care about so it's really about looking at your overall asset allocation of your time and making the best choices and then in terms of what I have in the pipeline so 2020 wow what a year everybody <laughs> can right. I just say Wow. Um, and I'm really happy to report I'm doing great now. As we're recording, it's fall of 2020. So all is well with the world. Oh, but wow, it was a wild ride. And to be honest, I didn't do a lot in terms of new things that I was working on that were big and dramatic. A lot of what I've done is maintained writing for Harvard Business Review, writing for Fast Company, writing my newsletter, serving clients. Thankfully, my business has been doing very well. And I attracted a huge international clientele this year. So people from UK and Denmark and Switzerland and Australia and Ghana and Kuwait and of course in the United States and Canada. So that's been going great. And in terms of new things I've done, I did write a couple of version devotionals. This, um, this spring in particular, one was about staying focused in uncertain times and the other one was about finding hope in darkness just because especially we're doing better now, but especially here in, I live in Michigan in the spring, it was bad, bad news. Um, we had very strict shelter in place and there was massive mental health issues going on here in our state. Um, 
so I just really felt this desire to spread hope and to give people focus on God and what they needed to do there. So I've definitely emphasized that in terms of what I was doing. And then I have a web designer working on a redesign of my website. So I'll have a pretty little new website, but I'm actually not working on a new book right now or anything like that. And I'll have my group coaching program, Time Management Made Easy, start at the beginning of next year um, Mm -hmm. and be working on that too. But actually, I think this is a great illustration. Is it okay if I share the illustration of what this means for people? Okay, Um, cool. Please. Because yeah, because I know like some some people, if they're listening, they're business owners, to answer this question, if they had to answer it like I just did, they might feel like shameful, like, oh my God, he asked me what big project I'm working on and I'm not working on anything big and new. I only did like a few <laughs> version devotionals, but I don't feel any shame at all right here. So just for the record, anyone listening, shame-free zone. And let me tell you why. This was not supercilious. It wasn't like I was just like, I'm lazy or... I don't care or anything like that. There's a few things you need to know about your life. And particularly if you're an entrepreneur, you're the boss. You're the boss. Like it doesn't matter what anyone else says, how things should be. You're the boss. So why that matters in a couple of things is one, I'm the boss of my business. I love my business. I love coaching clients. I don't want a business with managing 50 coaches or doing whatever. So I didn't build a business like that. I choose not to. And So first of all, shame-free zone, make a business you love and it's cool. However you want to do it, have it work for your life. And I love my life. I love what I do. I can pay all my bills. Life is, life is good. So no worries there. And then secondly, with this whole business development thing, I'm doing fine. Like this year is going to be as good or better than last year. And last year was great. So, so if you're able to cover whatever your expenses are for your life or whatever you feel to be important, and I say for retirement and do all that kind of thing, you really don't have to freak out about things. I mean, if you want to do massive new projects every year, you totally can, but there's certain seasons when we just choose not to. Like I'm in a great place right now, but quite frankly, this spring, my mental health was like the biggest issue that I was focused on. I have no history of like anxiety, depression, any of that. I'm one of the most positive people you will ever meet. And (laughs) I was struggling with that junk. Like I, like I was talking about physical activity. I had to say every single morning, doesn't matter if it's like a ton of time, um, a big time investment. I have to get out of that house and I have to exercise because it was literally what was getting me out of bed in the morning when we had so much restrictions in our state. And it was really scary. Like we we're going to be fined a thousand dollars if we left our house for something that wasn't allowed. Um, like, so this year when I got to the spring, I was like, you know what? Number one focus 2020, my mental health. Like I need to be a happy person. I need to be a healthy person. I need to make this through sane. So doesn't matter about any big business initiatives. Like that's number one. Uh, number two was serving the people that came to me. And I've had, I've been very grateful. Lots of people have come to me, which is great. And then number three, I actually have chosen to invest a lot more time in some things outside of work that I personally feel passionate about. So um, I found a new church because my old church wasn't open for six months. Um, So I found a new church and I've been really focused on um, sharing my faith with people and encouraging them. Um, I got involved in volunteering with foster kids. So I um, participated in a camp this summer. I'm doing a mentor club. 
I'm getting certified to do foster care, respite care, which is really cool. If anyone doesn't know, you just take kiddos for like weekends. You don't have to have them like for a long, long time. So you're giving their main caregivers a break because foster kids can't just like go to normal babysitters. They have to be with certified people. Right. Um, and then finally, I've been getting a lot more politically involved. So circulating petitions about making Michigan a more safe place to live and all that kind of stuff. So I share that just because I want people to know that even as a business owner, you get to choose what success is. And it's totally fine if sometimes success is maintained. Like I do a great job with my clients. I do what I'm doing. And I don't like be like, I got to grow by this much every year. I've got to write a new book every year. And then as you can probably tell, I very consciously chose what do I need for my mental health? What do I need for the things that are important to me? And it's totally fine if the things important to everyone else are different than mine, but you can make those choices and you can do your thing and don't feel any shame about that because that's you living your best life versus living according to whatever business guru sends you 5 million emails says you should be doing with your life. Like, <laughs> don't worry about what they say. You do you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. You know, making sure that your measuring stick is not somebody else and what they've yep. got going on and that you got to yep. measure up to what they're doing. Definitely. Exactly. Let exactly. Exactly. And especially right now in 2020, like mental health is a huge issue. I'm reading stats mm -hmm. like depression up over a hundred percent. Like people, I think it was like a quarter of the individuals in their twenties and thirties are having suicidal ideations. Like seriously wow. guys, like get out, exercise, connect with community, <laughs> like do what you gotta do to like make it through 2020 because your life matters. So, um, yeah. So I just want to say that as encouragement, cause I think there's so much like urban legend around, well, if you're not, you know, pushing everything to the max, you're a slacker doing something wrong. And I totally agree. Or disagree, right. disagree. <laughs> right. <laughs> disagree. Let me let me qualify that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I think that's why it's so great that uh, a lot of your uh, techniques and practices circle around the mentality of, of time management because we can definitely get so caught up in trying to make everything that we want to do in life fit together, um, but thinking that we have to sacrifice our mental state or you know our our idea of peace to do all of that um you know that's that's certainly something i've never agreed with and that's why i connected uh, with what she taught so well yeah um so elizabeth we are getting to the end of it here um like i said i i really enjoyed your book i'm looking forward to reading divine time management um you know i love that you pour your faith into what you do um and then, you know, with your coaching practices and the things that you that you give, uh, you know, some of the people that you have subscribed to your website and things like that. So for people who, who are connecting with what you do and, and they like what they've heard on the podcast, where can they get in contact with you? Where can they keep up with what you're doing? Absolutely. So my website is reallife.com. So that's R-E-A-L-L-I-F-E and then another E as in Elizabeth.com. Great. Awesome. All right. Well, then uh, I think this has been a great conversation. I've definitely had a lot of takeaways for anybody who wants to dive into more that Elizabeth has to offer. Go to that website and check out her books. She's got three of them, one of which I can personally say is really great. Uh, the three secrets to effective time investment. Um, Elizabeth, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here.
there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Elizabeth Saunders. So I spoke with Elizabeth after the show and was able to lock down one physical copy of her first book, The Three Secrets to Effective Time Investment, a CD copy of that book, and a physical copy of her Harvard Business Review Guide to Work-Life Balance. You can win all three of these by going to her website, reallifee.com. That's R-E-A-L-L-I-F-E and another E.com forward slash WP forward slash say no 2017 and click download the scripts to subscribe to her emails where you will get awesome information straight from Elizabeth on great time management tips and much more. I'll put that link in the description. I would like to ask that you please leave a rating and review. It really helps this podcast go a long way to reaching others that can benefit from what we talk about on this show and check out the Peace With The Process Facebook page. Give us a like and a follow to stay up to speed on upcoming guests for the show and everything going on at Peace With The Process. I have also recently created the Peace With The Process Facebook group. For those of you who are listening and you're actively building a business, a career, or a lifestyle, and are interested in having discussions with other like-minded individuals around the processes you are using to get to that next level. Thank you all for tuning in and have a good morning, afternoon, evening, and good night. And I'll see you next time on Peace With The Process.